Hello, this is Coming to the Mat, podcast from the Melanesian Women Today Impact Service Series. Told through the lens of everyday, ordinary Pacific Island women, the Mat series seeks to break cultural barriers and invite listeners to hear real human stories of making a difference. The stories you will hear from the series balance diverse interests and weave together the story of courageous women who dedicate their lives to making a difference in their communities and country. Coming to the Mat series is a safe space that allows for women in the Pacific to use their voices. It also explores the integral aspects of women's lives all across the South Pacific and gives the listener a window into the many different issues women face through storytelling. Hello? Hey, good morning. Hello, Dosa. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. How's everything? How's Seattle? Seattle is cold. <laughs> it is cold. Oh, no. It, yes. it, it's quite cold here, but it's not. It's probably not as cold as Seattle. We're not getting snow anyway, so. Oh, well, today it says on my phone that it's 8 degrees, so. But it's raining. It's not. Oh! Yes. Oh, it's eight degrees here, but it's it's not too cold for me, probably because I'm so used to this cold weather that now I I just walk outside with a sweatshirt and stay back inside. This is Coming to the Mat. The Mat is a safe space where women from across the Pacific come together to share their stories and their achievements. The Mat also serves as a space to widen the range of female voices being heard. Each month, we profile a story that reflects a woman's achievements in the hope that by them telling the stories, it can help shed light to the struggles they've gone through to serve as an example for others and at the same time, empower other women and girls to fight stereotypes and go on to achieve their own dreams. Two Melanesian women, one from Vanuatu and another from Papua New Guinea, meeting each other for the first time, not in person, but over a phone call conversation, not in their own respective country of birth, but on foreign lands, one in Seattle, Washington, in the United States of America, and one at the University of Glasgow in Glasgow, Scotland. And how could this possibly be? Whether you and I are consciously aware of it or not, on an average, a day, you and I use technology on a daily basis of 144 minutes a day. Advances in computer and communications network have transformed not only the ways we work, but our lifestyles as well. Technological progress in science, medicine, and agriculture has improved the quality of lives of millions of people. Technology has the power to do many things, and changing the world is one of them. We are privileged to be living in a time where science and technology can assist us, make our life easier, and rethink the ways we go about our daily lives. The technology we're exposed and accustomed to has paved the way for us to innovate further. Before we begin a conversation for this episode, let me give a little historical background of how far women have come in STEM. STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Math. 
And what does that look like for Pacific Island women in the 21st century? Women have influenced eras and changed nations. Throughout history, women have made extensive contributions in many areas, especially in the field of science, technology, engineering, and math. Whether it is Sally Ride who transformed history by being the first woman to fly into space, or Katherine Johnson, the first African-American woman whose historical contributions to STEM were captured in the movie Hidden Figures. The STEM fields should be open to all, yet globally, there is a lack of gender diversity in STEM fields. The scarcity of women in STEM fields is a long-standing and persistent problem. Many scholars and policymakers have noted that the field of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, or STEM, have in fact remained predominantly male, with historically low participation among women since the origins of these fields during the Age of Enlightenment to the dawn of information age that arose in the office parks of the Silicon Valley in the United States of America. So what does STEM look like for women and girls in, in the Pacific? In the Pacific or Oceania, women from all three regions of Melanesia, Polynesia, and Micronesia share in the same struggles. In all Pacific countries prior to independence, most of the political, administrative, and business roles had been occupied by mostly white men. While men have continued to seek tertiary education, embrace new roles in politics and public administration, and go on to start commercial enterprise, relatively few Pacific women did so. The structure and institution of governing, enacting of law, and providing services was established as primarily a male reserved. Therefore, the idea of gendered equality that was established as part of the progress to further girls' education, particularly at secondary and tertiary levels, have been limited in the years leading up to independence and after independence is still somewhat slow. As a result, women and young girls continue to face structural barriers due to the legacy of colonial inequity compounded with cultural barriers. Nevertheless, in each country in the Pacific, there are some women who are considered trailblazers because they were able to hold senior positions in the administration and political sphere and faced forms of gender discriminations but were able to succeed in high-profile careers. As a result, in recent years, they appear to be gaining grounds in gender relations for women thanks to these extraordinary women who preceded them. Women like Naomi Martin, the first PNG woman to obtain a PhD, become the head of commission for higher education Meg Taylor was an advisor to the first Prime Minister of Papua New Guinea, and the list goes on, just to name a few. In the case of PNG and gender, only 18% of public servants were women during the 1980s, and the majorities were in low-level clerical jobs. In the Solomon Islands, it was Lily Ogatina Boskaneski, who was the first woman elected to political office in 1965 prior to independence, and was considered a huge achievement since women were not allowed to vote at the time. In Vanuatu, only four women were elected to parliament since 1980 and still currently no female members of parliament. In Fiji, it was Adi Losalini Dofi who in 1966 was the first woman to become a member of parliament. In fact, Fiji currently holds a higher percentage of women in parliament with 16% more than any other Pacific Island nation. 
The first wave of women holding political office and occupying senior public service positions provided the next generation of women with role models and showed that women were capable of leadership that commanded the respect of both men and women who worked with them. However, when it comes to science, technology, and engineering and mathematics, the Pacific still lacks role models in STEM, and there is a huge gap in providing space for women and girls to participate. Pacific women measure the advancement of their interests in many fields, apart from political leadership. Some women have managed to shatter the glass ceiling in other fields like entrepreneurship and sports, but very little is yet to be achieved in STEM. But for many others, the journey is still upheld. Women have, who have reached powerful positions can serve as examples as they empower other women and girls to fight stereotypes. Progress towards gender equality will only be possible with continued opportunities for women to thrive as leaders and innovators in the Pacific to solve many complex issues at hand, such as climate change and food security. In this episode, we're going to hear from one of the trailblazers in STEM, a young, exciting scientist who also happens to hail from the beautiful island nation of Papua New Guinea, and the first female Pacific Island scientist to be on a mission to feed the world's growing population in a more sustainable way. Discovering the love of science at an early age has prompted her to pursue further studies in science, and with the support of her family, especially her dad, she went on, went on to complete a Bachelor's of Science in Chemistry at the University of Papua New Guinea and a Master's degree in Inorganic Chemistry from the Northwest Normal University in China. She has just completed her PhD degree in Chemistry at the University of Glasgow, specializing in heterogeneous catalysts under the supervision of Professor Hedgruff. She is Dr. Yalinu Poya beating the odds, an inspiration for Pacific Island girls in STEM, Dr. Yalinu Poya, using catalysts to feed the world. Dr. Poya explains what she sets out to do using catalysts to feed the world. As mentioned by a lovely co-host, my name is Yalinu, and I come from the School of Chemistry. Now my PhD is in catalysis, why I make these magical little things called catalysts, which are used for important chemical reactions. My PhD is summed up in six words, using catalysts to feed the world. Now before I tell you what I do, let me show you where I work. I work in the Joseph Black building. Now outside it looks old, sad and gloomy, but inside is where the magic happens. You have amazing research from different areas of chemistry and the building is full of brilliant chemists. Hashtag, we're not Muppets. Now as I mentioned before, I make catalysts, but in order for you to understand what I do, you need to understand what catalysts are. Catalysts are substances that enhance the chemical reaction without itself being consumed or changed by the reacting chemicals. Sounds a little bit fancy, right? Well, take for instance Salt Bay. Sprinkle a tiny amount of catalyst in a chemical reaction and it becomes a thousand times better. Now, a catalyst can work in two ways. Firstly, it causes the chemical reaction to happen in a better pathway. Take for instance, I am a chemical reaction. This is my pathway, that is my final destination. I can take different routes. I can either hopscotch across, moonwalk across, or simply walk. Either way, a catalyst chooses the best alternative pathway for me. Secondly, a catalyst makes the chemical reaction go faster. Let's look at some examples. Take, for instance, this nice man, looking fabulous, casually strolling to work. All of a sudden, a big, scary, angry dog comes behind him. What does he do? He runs. In this case, the dog is a catalyst. Another example, based on a tale as old as time. 
love. You have Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, two completely different people living two completely different lives. And then they were set up by a mutual friend, and we all know what happened next. In this case, the mutual friend is a catalyst. Now, these examples of catalysts in comparable real-life situations. But chemically, catalysts have so many uses in our everyday lives. Just by looking at this picture, can you guess which items are made by using catalysts? Basically everything, from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet, even her body itself, all made by using catalysts. Now, as a chemist, there's so many catalysts, but I'm only interested in catalysts that make ammonia, a simple compound made up of one nitrogen atom and three hydrogen atoms. Now, ammonia has so many uses, but it is primarily used to make fertilizers, which then grows our food and feeds 40% of the world population. That's 3 billion people being fed by this simple compound ammonia. Dr. Poyer's humble beginnings started as a very curious child who was encouraged by her loving parents to explore her curiosity through hands-on experience and testing things out like experimenting with plants in a vegetable garden and mixing mud in her backyard to make mud pies. She remembers mixing different colored cordials to see how colors change and dry corn kernels to see if she can make her own popcorn. Mixing mud to make mud pies in her backyard in Lave, Papua New Guinea, this curious little girl is now pioneering in green science and leading the way forward in the world of science on the mission to feed the world's growing population in a more sustainable way through her chemistry research. Her ambition is to create a cleaner and safer way to produce ammonia, which is used in fertilizers to produce the crops we rely on to meet our global food demands more sustainably. She is pleased that her research can potentially contribute new perspectives to worldwide sustainability to help tackle some of the problems of climate change that affect Papua New Guinea, neighbor, neighboring Pacific Island nations, and other vulnerable developing worlds, and moreover, the planet. It looks like we might just have our very own Katherine Johnson right here in the Pacific, a role model in STEM for young girls to aspire to and rise up to the challenge. I give you Dr. Yalinu Poya. Welcome to the mat. Thank you so much for taking the time to, um, to start on with me, to talk with me. Oh, not a problem at all. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for this wonderful opportunity. I've never done one of these before, so this is my first time, but thank you. Yes, well, thank you so much. So we are going to um, start. So I guess um, what I was going to ask is how do you pronounce your name? Um, Yalinu. Yalinu. And then your last name would yeah. be? Poya. Poya. Yalinu yeah. Poya. Okay. Yes, that's it. Yalinu Poya. Yeah, because my name is uh, it's so hard to pronounce over here. So every time I introduce myself to anybody, you know, you can tell that they're looking at me like, how do I sum my R's together with the help? Yes, how, 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 how do you pronounce your name? So, my, my, so it's, it's most, mostly like Polynesian name, basically. It's like, you know, in Fiji, you uh -huh. say Meriyaling. Um, and then in Tonga, ah, yes. Okay. So in Tonga, you said Nele. Um, so depending on that R, if they, you know, pronounce the R, they don't. So in Vanuatu, we just say Nele. Um, so yes, that's the same in Papua New Guinea. So your name, it sounds like it's from the Gulf province of yes. Papua New Guinea. Yes. That's why I said Nele, and I'm like, oh, 
I, I do think pronounce, I think of it as Mele or Mere, um, yes, how like they pronounce yes. it I saw it and I said, oh, it must be Dr. Mere. Yes, it's yes. those uh, Australasian language, the same thing. You know, you pick it up in all the different parts of Melanesia and yes, of course, yeah. yes, yes, the same thing. So uh, it's a, a named after my grandmother. So, you know, someone oh, that's beautiful. Carry, yeah, carry on the name. <laughs> so I'm yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. fortunate to have that. So I guess we're going to start with you. Um, you know, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, this is Melanesian um, mm-hmm. Women Today, and we uh, approach, you know, all our women in the Pacific, particularly in Melanesia, um, in the things in the fields that they do, and how can we, you know, have a space to tell our stories, to empower other women. Um, as we venture right. into, into new areas of territory. And um, yeah, so basically just talking um, about who you are, a little bit about who you are and how did you end up where, where you are today. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving me the time um, of speaking about um, my journey. Well, um, my name is Yalino Poya, and I, I come from the beautiful island of Papua New Guinea, the beautiful country of Papua New Guinea. And I am currently, um, I finished my PhD course last year in December, and at this stage, I'm currently finalizing my thesis. Um, I started off back in um, Papua New Guinea. My story isn't different from um, many um, Pacific Island children, I would say. I grew up in a loving Christian home um, with the Pacific Islands. You know, we, we, are, we are so warm in our nature. We are um, we, we, we family people. Um, so growing up in a close-knit family and in a wonderful neighborhood, I had um, many positive influences upon my life. Um, my father, um, he is a wonderful man. My mother, she's she a caring, caring woman. So while growing up, I was encouraged to um, follow my dreams. I was encouraged to um, uh, do something um, positive, especially to give back to um, the community or to society. So while I was growing up in Papua New Guinea, I, I was born and raised in Lay, um, which is the second largest city of Papua New Guinea. It's located in Mother Province. So I... My family still is there, so I go back there um, every holiday. So, growing up in Leh, um, I I was quite adventurous. I was I was an adventurous child. I was very curious. I liked to learn things a lot. While growing up, I developed um, many funny habits. I would say, um, looking back, I I would think that it was a funny habits. Like I like to memorize things. Like I like to memorize. Um, um, you know, people's phone numbers or um, the people's addresses or um, I like to memorize um, how to mix different colors to come up with um, a certain type of color or I had to, I tried to memorize um, how different ways or different uh, roots in which you can grow certain plants. I, I, I was a very curious child and I really like to learn a lot and I developed um, uh, habits of um doing things at home, like mini experiments, like I tried to, um, I tried to make things like my own popcorn. I tried to, I mix some different types of cordials to see what type of color would come out of it or if the taste will change. Mm. I mixed some fizzy drinks. Um, I had my own garden and I tried, um, you know, doing, I, I did many, many funny things, even, um, with, um, things like, um, 
making my pies and um, building things like tree houses and all that. So I was quite adventurous. So um, this curiosity of mine, it, um, it, 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 it kind of linked back to, um, it, it, it fell in nicely, it intertwined nicely with my education because mm. I adapted that curiosity that I developed as a child and I brought it into the classroom. So whenever we would have classes, I was always one of the students where I would always ask questions. And teachers, they, they, they would love that and they would always encourage me to ask more. And um, not only that, but if I ask a question and if I receive a response, I always like to cross-check again. So after listening to what the teacher says, I try to memorize what they said. And I bring it back to the house and I um, try to do my own research. I go to the library to... Um, or look up um, encyclopedias or um, fast books. So I was a very curious child. So um, that curiosity, it grew in me while growing up. And it was until I was at the um, age of, I think I was maybe nine or ten, that was when um, I really, really, really started to um, develop a great interest in science. I mean, I loved other STEM subjects like um, uh, mathematics and even um, not only that, but even other subjects as well like um English and all that, but I was I was a science lover. That's all I could say. I started as young as I was a science lover. So while growing up, um, I would ask teachers many things, um, and then I would um, adapt what I learned in the classroom, take it back home. Like I tried to um, see how a bean a bean seed would grow. Mm-hmm. I did experiments at the house too. You know, from what I learned, I would um, catch grasshoppers um, in my mother's garden and try to um, see the different parts of it like, and then compare it to like a gecko that I would catch. You know, many, many little things like that. And um, when I was at the age of 10, that's when I had a serious talk with my um, science teacher. He's a wonderful man. Um, I He's from the West Papua region of um, um, Indonesia, mm-hmm. and um, he still lives in my hometown, Lay. I think now he's attached with one of the universities as a lecturer. So I had a serious conversation with him. I pulled him to the side and I asked him after one of our science classes, I said, um, excuse me, sir. Um, I said, what made you want to become a scientist? <clears throat> and then he saw me, and the first thing he said, he said, Dalini, you're one of my best students, I must say. And a, a student that every time, you know, when some students, they would probably like be having like, blind faces during class, but they're just not bothered. I always see that you're always concentrated and you're always willing to learn. And I must say, do you have an interest in science? And I said, yes, sir. I, I really like science. I, I want to be like you one day. I want to be a scientist. And he said, he said, well, my girl, you should go for it. He said, I encourage you to be a scientist. So, and he was, um, he was, he, he was one of my um, close male teachers. And then in grade, uh, grade seven, again, I was encouraged by another um, science teacher of mine, his name is um, Mr. Mr. Nona, and he's from Papua New Guinea. He even encourages me, and there was also another uh, science teacher of mine, too, um, in grades 11 and 12 in high school. His name is Mr. Keta. He also encouraged me. So um, these are some people in my life that are really encouraged me to take up the role of um, bench, uh, becoming a scientist, to venturing into science, because you wouldn't... Um, um, I mean, it depends on where you grow up or where you come right. from, but of course, to have encouragement or to have um, support from your teachers is very important. So I received a lot of that. So that's what made me want to pursue um, a career in science. So you, you, your parents definitely saw something in you and they just let you explore and 
you know, the mind of a child, a little child, it's um, it's interesting that they were able to in, let you be who you are. And I guess that's kind of the foundation of having a curious mind and expanding from that. And um, having those teachers, um, I noticed that they were all male teachers, and that's very encouraging to hear that, that all, you know, had encouraged you to to stick with science or to find, uh, you know, pursue science. Yeah, well, um, even that was encouraging as well. I mean, like, at first, first of all, like, while growing up, I even had supportive um, female teachers, but these supportive female teachers, they, they mainly taught other things like um, English, um, home economics, these other um, subjects. But it was the males that I always see in science classes. That's why, um, you know, if, if I had a female science teacher, I would still approach them. You know, I was just yeah. looking at science. I wasn't looking at the um, the gender, whether it was a man or woman that taught me. But it was like by default, while growing up, all my science teachers were men. So when I approached and I asked them, they were surprised. They had wonderful look on their face and they said, I would encourage you to um, venture into STEM. I don't know if this sparked up... Um, I kind of like a question in my head is that why am I only seeing, uh, why am I only being taught by male science teachers when I didn't have um, any female scientists actually um, as a um, science teachers? So that even uh, made me even think as well, like, you know, when growing up in Papua New Guinea, because I didn't, um, I didn't see any um, women in science role models. I would see, um, I would hear stories of, um, you know, women um, venturing in other fields such as business or, um, you know, uh, it was mainly like, I wouldn't say a job where um, it's comfortable, but, you know, it was mainly like a job where it's like um, related to an office environment, I would say. Mm -hmm. And um, I even have um, some cousins who are accountants and um, even lawyers. So I saw them rise up as well, but they were just, but I didn't see any women um, in um, um, science and technology and, you know, in engineering while growing up. So um, that made me even wonder. So, that even while growing up in Papua New Guinea, I didn't have um, any female role models in um, science. But um, I looked, I just looked at how a woman was um, focused and determined generally. But um, in the field of um, science, I didn't see any. But um, that that even sort of like encouraged me to like, okay, if I'm not seeing a female role model in science while growing up, maybe I can work hard to be that role model for. Um, younger girls who come behind me. So I didn't have, um, I didn't have small nieces and nephews. So I thought that maybe I, I can, I can, you know, I can try my best. I could try hard or I can, um, try to, um, you know, um, change the stereotypical, um, you know, idea that, um, women in science, they don't match, especially growing up in the Pacific Islands. Yeah. So I thought that, okay, if I, if I try to be the role model that I never had, maybe I can, um, change the mindset, especially for our young girls growing up. Um, in the island. So you went from um, the University of Papua New Guinea. Um, you did sign. You did some. Um, went to school there, and then how did you go? Mm -hmm. from, how did you go from there to University of uh, um, You are in uh, Scotland, right? Yes, 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 I'm in Scotland. So, so first of all. Um, I did my, I, I, I'm fully, I was fully educated in Papua New Guinea, let's just put it this way. Mm -hmm. I did my primary school, my secondary school, high school, everything was in um, 
Papua New Guinea, it was in my hometown lake. Mm-hmm. Okay, then I received an um, offer. Um, I was accepted into the University of um, Papua New Guinea to um, study Science Foundation. So that was for one year, and um, one year you redo all the um, science courses that you learned in school, mm-hmm. like your physics, your math, your chemistry, um, your biology, and other courses like physics and ethics and whatnot. But this is at the university level. Then after the, at the end of the first year, we had to um, fill out our forms to um, for them to stream us into whichever um, branch of um, science we wanted to go. So we can um, either go to medicine or go to um, do um, go to dental school or to be um, uh, to do computer science or geology or chemistry, whatnot. So my my choice was I wanted to. Um, Went into chemistry. Now, interestingly enough, when I was um, filling out my choices, I had um, a lot of people in my science foundation area, majority I would say, they all had their eyes set for medical school. And um, the sciences was something that they, they thought that, okay, fine, if I had three choices, maybe the first two choices I'll put for medicine or um, dentistry or pharmacy or one of those. And then the last choice, um, they, they considered science as something like a backup plan. Hmm. They didn't really want to... Um, Venture into science. So when I was putting out my form, I put chemistry as my first choice, and then second I chose um, um, environmental science, and the third was biology. And when I filled it out, people said, "Oh, you, you, you want to be, um, you want to remain, you want to be in the sciences." And I asked, "Oh, what did you put?" And a lot of them said, "Oh, I want to go into medicine science." No, nah, I don't think it's like um, much opportunity for me, so I, I would prefer to um, just. Um, become a medical doctor in a state life. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, fine, it's up to you. And then later on, you know, when um, people started to be selected and everything, you know, the medical school only chooses the top 50. And then afterwards, we have all these students that are back, you know, and then they're wondering what to do next. So a lot of people, they weren't serious with science, even in the universities, they thought of it as a backup plan. Anyway, well, I streamed into chemistry. Um, I graduated um, from the University of Papua New Guinea with a Bachelor of Science majoring in um, chemistry, and I was fortunate enough um, to be selected into the industrial chemistry um, sector, which was only um, um, awarded to 20 top students of that year. Mm-hmm. And then from there, after that, um, I, I went and I worked a little bit with um, Pogara Gold Mine, which is in Papua New is run by um, Barrick Gold, a Canadian company. I worked there as a process technician, so I was part of the um, graduate development team. Um, there I didn't do much of my field chemistry, but I did a bit of um, mineral process engineering, like, you know, just drink. it was mainly a little bit chemical engineering focused with a bit of mineral process engineering. It was just like um, a, a, a mixture of that. And I worked with them for 18 months. Then I applied for, um, I applied for a scholarship. I actually applied to three places. I applied to Australia, um, America and um, China, but I was accepted into China. Recently, because um, one of the things that I find um, quite funny, especially with um, um, developed countries, that they they think of us from developing nations as um, our um, we are not up to par with the standards. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, when you want to apply for certain opportunities to further education, they would require something of um minimum five-year experience and all that, you know, it's really, it's really like a drawback and sometimes it's disheartening and it discourages a lot of um, uh, people who want to pursue a further education. It just discourages them like, oh, I might as well just stick to what I am by doing this now. Forget about going because nobody's offering me opportunities. 
But luckily enough, the Chinese government, they, um, they offered me a school scholarship to go to um, the Northeast Normal University in China. And at that time, I had like 18 months worth experience, but they said it was okay. And the response was, we believe in, um, you know, fostering young scientists, especially in developing countries. So your, your, that experience is suffice for us, so, which was something that was very encouraging. So when I went to um, the Northeast Normal University, it was um, in Changchun, Jilin Province. I studied there for two years, and I attained my um, Master's of Science in, um, in Organic Chemistry. And um, while I was studying there, I decided that, you know what, while I'm already um, doing my Master's, I don't want to um, go back home, home to Papua New Guinea yet. I would really want to venture into um, doing a PhD because while growing up, I, I, my father was, uh, he, he's a wonderful man. So while growing up, he was very supportive and he encouraged me to uh, do a PhD at the age of 11. Mm-hmm. So I remember that, okay, I started with my dad. I remember that one time um, I was with my father in his old office and we had that conversation and he said, you should um, pursue a PhD. And I said to myself, I said, well, while I'm out here, I might as well apply for a PhD. So from the um, Northeast Normal University in China, I applied, and then I received an acceptance letter. I received um, an offer, and immediately after graduation in um, June 2016, I went back home to Papua New Guinea. I sorted out my things, and then um, from there, I came to the University of Glasgow. So um, it, my, my journey was mainly um, something that I wouldn't say... Um, I did it on my own, but I, I, I took the first step, you know, yes. um, especially coming from a developing nation, you shouldn't be sitting back and expecting handouts or expecting yeah. people to come and tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, um, you have um, scholarships or, um, you know, further study opportunities being advertised in the newspaper and everything, but it's better for you yourself to go out there and look for stuff yourself. I mean, all uh, these scholarships and these applications and even now where I am, I myself, I went on the internet. I myself, I looked up different, um, you know, different criteria that I needed to apply or what are the requirements. I, I, I had to book, um, exams, language exams or other exams just to, um, attach with my, um, applications. You know, a lot of these things, I did it on my own. So when people are intrigued on my journey and they ask mm-hmm. me questions, they say, Lalilu, um, how did you get that? I told them, you know, you have everything at the tip of your fingertips. Right. You have the internet there. You have you have things. You don't need to wait for people to tell you what to do. How I got here, I, I researched on my own. I found mm-hmm. opportunities. And I tell people, especially in, like, I would not only pop and but I even have students from PG or Pacific Islands. They ask me, how did you get there? I tell them, you know what? You coming from um, a Pacific Island nation, like us from the Pacific Islands, we're still listed as those in a under the developing country um, um, section. Uh, so I say that, um, and at the same time, for a lot of us, the Commonwealth countries, there are many opportunities, especially to give out to them. And, and when you apply, don't be picky and say that, like for me, when I applied for my master's, my mindset was fixed that, okay, um, I, I want to go into my master's in a Western country, like um, American, Australia, and China. I wanted to go there, but I thought of it as like, a plan B, you know, yes. and then uh, you don't have to have that um, idea, you know, you just apply everyone, wherever you get selected, you should go and study education because a lot of these countries, I mean, when you look at it, they're even much better off in um, STEM subjects as compared to what our countries are and what we have to offer, so it's good to um, venture out there, so my journey was, um, it, it was I would say I'm quite, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for it and I'm, I feel very blessed 
come this far. And um, it wasn't easy because I had to work very hard to um, make the grades. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you know, um, not only make the grades, but I had to be like a model student. So I would get good recommendation letters, or good references from um, academics or from people I know. So mm-hmm. you have to be um, a well-rounded person yes. um, if you want to progress ahead. And um, yeah, somebody that is willing to take the risk to apply and to do many things. So, But I'm very grateful that I've come this far, so now I'm here with the University of Glasgow in the United Kingdom. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad. I mean, it's obviously a lot of hard work, but at the same time, being able to um, put your mind to it and do your research, and I think that's, that's a very good explanation as to your journey of not just going from one place to another, but being, being able to put everything that you have in it and be able to um, find and explore and ask questions. So um, so you can tell us a little bit about your research. Um, tell us about how did you how did you come up with the idea of of this uh, research that you are working on for your PhD? Right. Okay. So um, when I was in school, I would say when I was in my bachelor's, um, um, when I was doing my bachelor's at the University of Papua like um, going into chemistry, um, we ventured into um, it was more deep chemistry than what we learned in school. So um, um, there was different aspects of chemistry. So when I was looking um, into these um, different subjects, like different subjects into chemistry, I thought that I really, I grew an interest in inorganic chemistry. And when we look into Furthermore, we see in organic chemistry, branches in organic chemistry was um, catalysis. So I really liked catalysis, and it was one of my, I was very fond of it. Um, from there, when we ventured into, um, when I went, when I applied for my um, master's degree, I was, I, I got um, an acceptance that I, I applied for the inorganic chemistry, and when I got selected, but I was so happy, and when I went to the school in China, they asked me, which um, area would you like to venture into, and I said, catalysis. That was the first thing that came into my head. So I did a um, master's degree, which was major in catalysis. So catalysis is a very um, unique subject in um, chemistry, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so a catalyst is basically something that you add to a chemical reaction to make it faster and at the same time without um, affecting the uh, the reaction in a negative way. I, it's just like, just think of it as the magic touch of a um, chemical reaction. Mm-hmm. So... The catalysis that I did in China was um, something to do with um, it was extracting um, carboxylic acids from um, corn starch and um, sweet potato starch. So this carboxylic acid is um, um, it's, it's like a major industry throughout the world. But one of the things is that it's um, very polluting mm-hmm. and it's very harmful to the environment. So when I ventured into that one, we wanted to do in a more greener and a more cleaner, a safer way. Mm-hmm. So that carboxylic acid is what we use in our everyday items like plastic bags and all these things, right? And mm-hmm. coming from um, natural natural source like cornstarch, something that you can grow in your backyard, then it's easily biodegradable. So that started that that started the, the passion for green chemistry. So thinking that I can I can something that we it's important in everyday life. But when we um, when we use it or when we do it, it just won't um, be harmful to the environment. So I had that thought in my mind. And then when I was applying for um, a PhD, I wanted to continue doing catalysis, but 
something that is green, you know, something that is useful to um, everybody for everyday life, but it is um, not harmful to the environment. So when I was researching, looking around, I came across the University of Glasgow. They spoke on, um, I came across my supervisor's profile. And I looked into it and I saw that he focused, of course, on catalysis, but he focused on ammonia synthesis. And I thought, wow, ammonia synthesis. I mean, um, and then he, he, he looked into making catalysts, and his research area looked into making catalysts that are able to make um, ammonia on a small scale, um, small scale production. Right. So if you look at ammonia, so ammonia is something that is very um, crucial. For the world, a lot of people think that, okay, um, if you mention a term like ammonia, they said, what's it got to do with me? Well, it's got everything to do with me because ammonia is um, responsible for producing 85% of the world's, um, uh, 85% of ammonia that is produced is um, directly for um, reducing, making um, synthetic fertilizers. Now, this synthetic fertilizers, it, it feeds 40% of the world population. That's like 3 billion people. And, um, and of course, us coming from the Pacific Islands, we are very um, blessed with um, naturally organic rich soil um, where you can basically grow everything. But in lots of countries in the world, they don't have good arable farming soil, so they need to condition the soil in order to grow food crops to feed the population. And that world population is not decreasing or setting at all. It is climbing every time. Right. By the year 2050, the world population is expected to hit um, 9 billion. So, you know, that means that the use of ammonia will also increase, the demand for ammonia will also increase to feed the world population. Right. So, um, we need to come up with a way to um, produce ammonia in a more clean and a safer way. The current um, the current production for ammonia is, um, ammonia is mainly produced but through the Haber-Bosch process, which is a process that has been um, in use since the early 1900s and it's been seen the world since. Mm -hmm. However, this process is mainly at a large scale right. and when it's at a large scale, it, its energy source needs to come from something that is able to cater for the entire reaction. So the energy source is mainly coming from fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. So fossil fuels is something that everybody uses in fossil fuels these days and yes. one day it's going to run out. Right. And at the same time too, not only that, but the pollutants that are being produced from um, making ammonia is contributing to 1.6% of managed carbon dioxide into the atmosphere every year. And every year, ammonia uses 1-2% of the world's global energy. So it's, it's something that is, ammonia is very useful and we all need it to survive. Mm -hmm. However, we can make it into a more um, sustainable yeah. way. So mm -hmm. what I'm looking at, um, my research group especially, we're looking at into making catalysts, catalysts that are able to... Um, make ammonia mm -hmm. um, in a more clean and safer way because right now the current um, ammonia industry is mainly at a large scale. So if right. you make it into a smaller scale, then we'll be able to um, make ammonia, one, we'll be able to make it faster mm -hmm. and more clean and more safe. And, you know, the large-scale ammonia um, production is mainly done using um, fossil fuels. But if we mm -hmm. try to do it on a smaller scale, we can use renewable energy such as wind energy and um, the hydrogen source that is used for the current ammonia I mean the Haber-Bosch process mainly from um, fossil fuels but if we do it at a smaller scale maybe we can get the hydrogen source from um, water you know so we're looking into um, renewable ways to make ammonia in a more clean and sustainable way for 
um, that will benefit us all, of course, because now, you know, with climate change, right. everything is going sideways with climate change. So we're trying to um, save the environment yes. while feeding the world's population. I'll just put it that way. So you, you, you definitely, I think you hit the jackpot in terms of like uh, your the finding the gap in not just your research, but also what the, what's going on in the world. So I think that it's a yeah. just a unique opportunity in in a way that and you know almost like uh, this phenomena of you know this is young girl of Papua New Guinea you know um, it almost kind of like I can see like if it's all planted into what's coming um, so it's exciting it's exciting to when I was reading through some of the readings are going into University of Port Costa and, and, and reading about what you and your professor, your mentor is doing, I was just blown away the fact that it's just so timing um, and to be able to come up with something um, that could probably be the, the answer to helping, especially during this time for food, especially for food security, for the climate change and um, but be more greener in, in, in a way. So um, it's exciting. I think um, that young, as young people listen listening to this podcast from across the Pacific in Papua New Guinea, uh, anywhere they are, and being able to have a, a clear understanding of not just your your journey of where you have to what it is because we often as Pacific Islanders we just kind of read something or even hear about science or chemistry or you know anything like you were talking about catalysts um, we just kind of like sit back and think what is that or how do I get there and and so watching your journey or listening to your journey to what you're explaining now it makes it makes a lot of sense and that your journey to where you started to what you uh, what you're doing today in, in, in solving and a problem that we have in today's world. Now that I think allows for a young Pacific Islander to say, oh, I can see the dots. I can see how this is all linking up. So um, perhaps we could talk a little bit about like the idea of STEM. Um, explaining STEM, what is it, why STEM, and then we can talk a little bit more about why it's important for girls to um, you know, find careers or to pursue careers in, in, in STEM. Mm-hmm. So STEM, the term STEM is actually um, it's actually abbreviation for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Mm-hmm. So um, STEM subjects are, are very important. Um, even this this is terms with STEM. I didn't know it while growing up. I only know like separate things like I know engineering, math, all that. But um, as you know, um, as the world um, progresses, times went by, people coined to the term STEM. So STEM is something that, um, of course, the Pacific Islanders should um, Pacific Islanders we should look um, into STEM. Especially, um, I would encourage, especially our um, our females, especially our girls, to listen to STEM, of course, because, you know, when you look at how the world is changing very fast, right. I mean, everything is going to be digitalized, everything is going right. to, the technologies would um, be more advanced, things are going to move forward, so you can't be sitting back and expecting, like, you know, how um, us, we have the mindset, oh, the men will do all the work. No, at one stage, we too need to contribute. Now, of course, um, you, you can have different careers, like such as um, law, 
um, becoming an accountant, a business person, or, um, you know, but, but STEM is equally as important because the world is changing and we need to move along with it. Therefore, we need to educate and equip our young people to step up to the platform and also to move into um, STEM careers or build up the interest in um, STEM careers in order to move forward. Because um, especially, I mean, coming from the Pacific Islands, like now I'm, I'm, I'm doing this work with a synthesis. When I look back a bit, like when I when I read of the of how, of course, the world needs ammonia, but then when I look at how it impacts society, like this effect, it really breaks my heart because when I see that it contributes to you know such mm-hmm. pollutants into the atmosphere, it contributes greatly to climate change. I'm thinking, hang on a minute, my people are thinking, our islands are thinking in the Pacific, our islands are thinking in the Pacific. Um, they're having to um, you know migrate, relocate, so. So it's something that I, I've really, I'm, I'm not just trying to, you know, come up with a solution to this, but I'm, it's something that I hold it close to my heart because I know that if I can, not, not, I'm not saying that my, my, my method will change the world, but if it can contribute to something greater, at least I can say I did my part right. to help my people because our island is thinking, so at least it's coming up with a solution that would, uh, that would, that would help help, um, you know, future generations because um, we wouldn't want to migrate or lose all our land and everything. So, you know, when you look at the bigger picture, mm-hmm. this is all to do with what? STEM, right? right. So it's good to, for us to, you know, um, move into STEM, um, STEM careers, STEM fields. Like we should ditch the stereotypes and we should, um, you know, look for, especially cultural stereotypes. In the Pacific Islands, we've got many stereotypes. So we should um, break them down and we should um, change the traditional roles that um those have in our society. So what um, we can do, like, especially um, um, I, whenever I'm back at home or even, you know, I open myself up for um, discussions if somebody wants to um, hit me up or, you know, send me a DM or something, asking questions, I'm always open to answer and respond. So um, what we can do is that um, we can bring more of our young people mm-hmm. into centers, especially girls, and um, we can um, start to um, foster a love for STEM subjects that we do um, you know, awarenesses, STEM awarenesses, or, um, you know, for um, um, for girls, try to um, um, motivate them, especially if you're somebody that is um, not only, like, you know, like you go that fast, so even though if you are just maybe in university or, like, even if you're in a higher grade or something, you can look down to the younger ones and say, hey, I love STEM subjects, or you can just ask them the simple question, what mm-hmm. you want to do when you grow up? And if someone says something, you can support them. And especially if someone says, that, oh, I'd like to um, be a scientist or I think, um, you know, science is interesting, you know, you should try to encourage them and say that, you know what, the world is changing, the world is the oyster, you can be whatever you want to be, um, just work hard and be focused and do not lose your hope and do not lose your dream. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's good for us to um, act as role models and um, to motivate our our younger ones, encourage them. And um, at the same time, too, you know, I mean, it's really good. It's, I mean, talking is one thing, but it's, Action is a different thing. Like right. what I would, um, yeah. I would like to see more of is, um, you know, STEM awarenesses in school. Mm. Um, not only that, but we can, um, like me coming here to the United Kingdom, I see that, like when I compare Papua New Guinea and the United Kingdom, or I should just say when I compare the Pacific Islands in general mm. and the United Kingdom, I see that they are putting more, more, and more effort and resources into encouraging girls to yeah. choose STEM careers. Like they do, um, small competitions. They do um, um, small activities, workshops, fun activities, you know, like simple things like um, many, many, many things just to, um, you know, spark 
um, spark, spark something in their heart to think that, oh, hang on a minute, I can be a scientist, or I can venture, I, I, even though I'm a girl, I can be an engineer, you know, I can, I can do some coding, I can be a mathematician, I can uh, be a computer scientist, you know, they do many things such, such as that. So it would be good if um, we have such in our communities, you know, so um, sometimes people say that, oh, um, we look back to the government. But sometimes you can do your part by just um, going across to a local school or something, giving a career talk, or maybe um, try to organize something with one of the local science mm-hmm. teachers, whether it's the students, you know. Basically, whatever resources that you have, it's good for us to use it to the best of our ability to um, develop um, STEM careers, um, especially with our young people. Yeah. So um, what would you say, for instance, if Melanesian women today would like to crunch into that area, what, what would be some of the things that we should be, um, as we go out into the different uh, islands or the uh, nations in the Pacific, how should we, because we do have a volunteer team and that we try to get students from the United States to volunteer. So we started in Vanuatu last year. Um, they have a, uh-huh. a girls' um, robotic teams called the Smart Sisters, and they they've done really well. They've gone through different uh, organize, uh, sorry um, competitions, um, and so I I thought that was a kind of a good start. But what it did really um, happen was from volunteers, particularly the Peace Corps volunteers, who come aboard and just encouraging communities and parents um, in the communities to, you know, get the girls engaged into it. Um, so that was interesting. I know Papua New Guinea has um, some science, uh, engineering, and a STEM group, or women's group. Um, so what would you say to people in the communities or anybody who's thinking about starting a small group? Um, what are the things that they need and how do they – what what sort of things areas should they um, be able to, especially from the context of our context in in the Pacific? How should they go about that? Well, I think that firstly, I mean, like, um, if if you just look at the big picture, like a lot of these um, people that um, you know do these things are mainly volunteers, right? So they volunteer the time, the resources. So if you were to um, encourage people, like a lot of um, of course, a lot of people will, will have the, the driving and the like, oh, yes, you're right, we must go back to um, our local communities and, you know, um, try to um, encourage and motivate them. But then a lot of them, they look at up, you know, the different um, logistics and stuff, and, oh, we need money to do these things, whatever. But you know what? It, 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 you don't need to start big. It can just start small, like just um, speaking to local people say that, hey, um, I'm in town for this day, right? Mm-hmm. So um, maybe for one of the Friday free sessions mm-hmm. or one of like, you know, the one of the free fair periods in between um, classes, you can say that I, I, I can come and talk to some of the students. So maybe, you you know, um, if you can like just like put something on the notice board so whoever's interested to come along or during a lunchtime talk or something, you can start small there. And then as, um, you know, as you start to build momentum, you can create awarenesses and, you know, when things um when things begin to develop, then you can um, venture to something small. Like um, what I see here, I'll give the United Kingdom, for example, like a lot of um, people who volunteer the time, they just go across during one of the holidays or during one of the spare times in the school, um, in, in, a, in a day at school, they go and they give talks, right? And then afterwards, they, um, from there on, like they, they show their passion to, um, you know, other 
people saying that, oh, we're looking to give back to the community. Mm-hmm. So if there is, um, if you'd like to donate something or if you'd like to help or sponsor an event, then you can. So when people show the support and they start sponsoring, what they do is they come up with um, small um, science experiments, something fun for the kids to do or, um, you know, some, a competition to encourage people. Like, for example, they might give them like um, a block of Legos or something right. to build up a, a spaceship within one hour or something mm-hmm. like that, or they can say that, oh, um, um, we're looking for someone to um, draw up a plan on how to they give them tasks, you know, many, many little things like that. So um, we don't necessarily have to start big. We can start small, mm-hmm. and then from there we can grow. But there are many people that have come across that they give their own time, their own talent, their own resources. They go out of the way just to um, bring, um, you know, encourage young people. And I would even say that, I mean, a lot of times, we, we look to the government, but many right. times our government set us down for these things because they focus on other things like us being um, developing um, island nations. We've got, I would say, we've got many problems, such as we've, we've got to improve our roads and health right. and all these things, things. So most of our um, our government cannot help us with any of these things. So it, it has to come from individual people or people that have the passion to help others. Yeah. So, so we can start to small and then we can branch into something big. But I, I have just even learned that there is um there's a STEM um organization that has just started in Papua New Guinea. I'm not too sure about it but I need to find out more. But you know a lot of things they um a lot of times, you know, we are good at talking but we yes. don't do like actually put the thing into action. So we can um we we shouldn't just make lip service, we should actually go back to our communities and um, you know, start encouraging our young people in whichever way that we can. Yeah. So do you think I was just thinking, um, listening to you, do you think that perhaps um the way that we would encourage because I think that with girls or women we tend to see things in a more very holistic, like how how can this you know, experiment then becomes what solving some issues that I'm having difficulties on or some, you know, problems in, in, in our communities. And I think that that's one way that I I think of us having to, uh, you know, encouraging girls into doing STEM because there are a lot of uh, areas that as, as a young girl you can, or as a woman, you can see that can be very beneficial for our uh, country or, you know, in, in terms of economics, um, you know, providing um, jobs and opportunities and so many, many different, like you said, moving into the 21st century. So I was wondering if if um, one of the way that we encourage uh, girls and, and to come, if you're a person that is passionate about this, is finding a problem in a community or finding a problem that tends to be uh, an issue within your community or in, in the country and then point and relate that or link it into STEM or science or engineering or math. How do we solve this problem? So it's basically about solve, uh, problem solving. So I wonder if that's a good strategy that someone who is thinking about um, starting a small group or just being, you know, going and giving talks, like relating that to the problem. Okay, so we have this ongoing issue in our country. How do you think we should solve this by using science, math, or engineering? Do you think that that's probably one approach that people can take to encourage girls? Yeah, yeah, that that is um, that is one of the approaches that they can do. Um, 
to um, encourage girls and even um, people to think about, um, you know, how they can contribute to something that um, affects us in our everyday life. Like, I'll give an example. I, I thought, um, I, as you were speaking, I remember reading something on the internet about uh, uh, a young boy. I mean, we're talking about girls here, but yeah. this is an example for a young boy. So he was, um, he's from a developing um, country in the continent of Africa. Mm. So what he did was um, they were looking for means and ways because um, transportation was difficult and um, he lived in a very remote area. Mm. And um, so a lot of people, like um, young old people, they had to um, get up and move forth and back, like to go to schools or to go to hospitals or whatever. They, they, will, they will wake up and they will time themselves. Like, for example, if I have a, a meeting at 10 o'clock, then I have to wake up at uh, 6 o'clock because I'm going to be walking for such and such hours and everything, right, on end. And then I'll have to walk back. So what he did was he, he looked around him and he said, that, okay, what can I do to, um, to help alleviate this problem? Mm-hmm. So the place that he was in was surrounded with bamboo. So what he did was he, he, he harvested the bamboo and he changed it and he made it into a bicycle. You know, it's, it's, sometimes we have to use our creativity to try to solve these things. But yes, of course, we need um, somebody to push us and encourage us and show us that we too can do something um, using the resources that we have to um, solve something that may affect us in our everyday life. Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example. I have a friend that we both did our, um, our bachelor's together in... Um, Papua New Guinea, except I did chemistry and she did biology. She's an amazing woman and um, she's um, she she's a wonderful scientist and she's very popular in Papua New Guinea. Um, so she looked at how um, you know, because coming from the Pacific Islands, a lot of us we have um mangrove mangrove ecosystems, right? right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of the mangrove ecosystems were um depleting, or she was in she she she's a biologist and she decided to um you know do something um to help her. Community. So what she did was she um she started to replant mangroves and she even got some people to help her and you know they all um went in and they um they did the part you know and at the end of the day, this even contributed back to people you know mangroves they can be a wonderful place where you can um do your fishing or you can um, you know collect food to eat from the mangroves you know so it's something that you can um you can look towards um solving a situation within um you know your your community. Like I see this being done a lot, especially with um Western countries where they try to look for ways to encourage young people. But if you see what they have, they they've got more than what we have. Right. And in a sense we we too have got more um more resources that we can use from them mm-hmm. while they have um things that are going on well for them, like you know, they've got perfect such and such they don't um have much problems as compared with us. But then when it comes to resources that we every day we can transform it and change it into something that would even um, impact a lot so yes they, they need to be encouraged and um, we also need to um, if you're someone out there we need um, smart thinkers innovators right. to think of um, different ideas that okay what, what do we have okay we've got all these things we've got such and such right and what is our need we can do that okay we can think of something to solve this problem with right. what we have Surrounding us, you know, like uh, the example of that of that boy with transportation, he decided to listen to um, bamboo. Mm. So it's something like that. But we need um, smart thinkers. But of course, people are very smart. If you ask somebody, if you sit down with somebody and you sit, have a conversation, they would. They a lot of people have many ideas. It's mm. just that some are afraid to speak up or 
some are thinking that, oh, it's probably just another wacky idea, it won't work, you know, yeah. but um, if, if there is more of such awareness that, or if someone comes up with different ideas saying mm-hmm. that, okay, we've got this problem, so if we can solve it what we have, I'm sure it will make, um, it will even start an interest with them as well through that avenue. Yeah, so I was thinking as you were speaking, um, I think what we need to, um, as I worked within different, you know, armed nations in the Pacific, I was wondering maybe one of the things that like you had of such a very curious mind and sort of parents developing that in a, in, a, in a child and seeing the importance of that. But well, I think on the bigger side of thing is encouraging our children, our kids at home to be problem solver where it's where, you know, little tasks that you give them. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, a part of helping them to start thinking about like, how do I solve this problem? Um, and so in, in, in a sense, like parents could be a little bit of, uh, you know, hands off and let the kid finish what they're doing or, figure that even if they get it wrong, but that's a start because basically mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, climate change is everybody's problem. So it's becoming yes. this big. So how do we start from within our homes? Um, so if you can talk a little bit about, you know, let's go back to maybe some, you know, one or two examples where your, your parents basically left you to do, maybe they didn't think about it intentionally, but I think those are the little steps that as a parent, you watch your child and you pick up straight, right away. This, this kid is very curious. Let's let him or her ex, explore. And, you know, even if they make a mistake, instead of yelling and screaming at the kid, let them figure it mm-hmm. out, how, you know, ask those questions, good questions, whatever silly questions it is. And I think this changing the mindset is probably another one of the things that we can start to kind of help um, our, in, not just in communities, but as individuals, even as a person who is passionate about uh, seeing STEM as an important factor of life, because it is what it is today, whether we like it or not, that's, mm-hmm. that's the current way yes. that we have to to ride. Therefore, how about let's touch base in a little bit and within the homes and, and give some pointers to, to parents, young parents, uh, grandparents, and even if they don't understand what STEM is, as long as having this curious mind, um, being able to solve little problems around the house. So what, what are some pointers that you would um, give to, to parents, to big brothers and sisters, or to a community, or to a youth leader, or whoever? Um, yes. Well, um, as um, okay, if um, so, my parents they were they 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 were um they were quite busy with everyday life. I mean, my father was working, my mother was working, so, but um, they were they were also strict. Like they would always um say that oh, you mustn't um, uh, you mustn't be um wasting your time with um you know um unnecessary things like um playing games or watching TV. You know, they were they were strict in that sense, saying that um after school you come back home. Um, you change out of your uniform, you have a nap, and then after nap, you have to um, do all your homework. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in a strict environment like that, and we went even to watch TV or do something as mundane as watch mm-hmm. TV or just go outside. They, oh, God, like to say, they'll ask you, did you finish your homework? Or let me check your homework first before you do this. And we had to ask permission for a lot of things. And I think that, that's... Um, you know, when I look back into the the, um, the households of the Pacific Islands, 
um, our our children they grow up with um, this strict upbringing where you respect your parents, you respect your elders, and even our religion, Christianity too, mm-hmm. played a big role in our upbringing. So it's like um, so a lot of students, I mean a lot of children, they have that idea that oh, I have to respect my parents. Now, with parents, you have a lot of power because you see that your children respect you, right? So in other words, you have to show them that you care about um, what they plan to do in their um, future. Mm. Like while growing up, I mean, I, I respected my parents great. I still respect them to this day. While growing up, they would ask me, I mean, after doing my homework and all these things, they would ask me like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or what is your favorite subject in school? You know, small questions like that. It, mm. it, it, it made me open up to them because, you know, when you grow up, especially in Pacific Islands, like you were told to respect your parents, not to talk back mm. or, you know, to be respected. So when they asked me, I opened up more. And I said, oh, my favorite subject is science. And, you know, I even remember my dad saying science. Um, well, what about um, mathematics and English? What do you want to do afterwards? And I said, I want to be a scientist. He even asked me questions like, do you want to be a lawyer or an accountant or businessman? And I said, you know, I want to do science. Hmm. So, but in the end, they were encouraging and they, they, they it, it, it just goes back to your parents, you know. Parents, they have a lot of power, especially um in a specific talent household. So for you to show interest and for you to show support, it will really motivate and encourage your, your children to um really um you know be supported in whichever area that they plan to take. And also parents they shouldn't um, be um you know limited minded like saying that mm-hmm. okay, you I want you to be a lawyer, okay you I want you to be a doctor. You mm-hmm. know there are more things apart from being a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, an engineer, you know. There are many, many, many different careers. When I said I when I first said I wanted to do chemistry, there was the first question my father asked was, What's the job opportunities afterwards? Yeah. I mean, I don't blame him because coming from a developing country and like seeing how our economy operated, even the job available for he was a concerned dad. Yeah. So he asked me that question and it got me thinking but I told him that I said I I said, you remember you we you, you had this conversation many years ago I said I, I, I my, my desire is to be a scientist and I plan to be I plan to reach the highest level of education with the PhD, and from there we'll see how things go. Mm. So he said, okay, I, I support you. And you know, when the head of the house, the parents said, I support you, it gave me a lot of encouragement. Mm-hmm. So parents, you play a big role in um, a child's upbringing, and it's always important to be supportive. And at the same time, too, you must, um, even though, of course, you're very busy trying to, you know, parents are very busy trying to make ends meet and everything, it's good to have small conversations with your child, asking them how they're getting on, asking them um, what's your favorite subject, who's your favorite teacher in school, asking them about the strengths and weaknesses. And then I'm going to speak to about career. Not only um, um, not only um, STEM subjects, but this education in general, like different areas that they want to venture into because us Pacific Islanders, seriously, we're one of the very smartest people on earth and we're very creative. Our minds are very creative. It's just because we don't have much support or we aren't encouraged that much, so we just think that, okay, I will just go with the flow or whatever it is, you know. But um, parents, they do play an important role in, uh, in the bringing of um, our children, yeah. Yes. So what would be some, um, do you um, like to give, like, um, suggestions for books, especially kids' books that may you know, trigger, like if they go into the library or maybe check it on online. Um, I know you talked about, gave an example of the one child that invented bicycle using bamboo. Um, I wonder if mm-hmm. another book that I was thinking of is the child, the boy who harnessed wind. Um, 
I don't know. Oh, if you, yes, yes, that's a good one. Yes. Um, yes, I've heard. Oh, they even, they even made a movie on that one. It's all The Boy Who Harnessed Wind. Oh, that was oh, yes. one of my favorite movies so far. Yes. It, 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 that was very encouraging. I mean, can you imagine somebody that he, I mean, like, he looked at his circumstances, he didn't have anything, but he just gathered, you know, scrap material here mm-hmm. and there, and then he can make something amazing like that. Of course, we need um, we need things like that. But I would encourage um, students, especially um, if they um, if they're curious about certain things, or if they, I mean, we we as Pacific Islanders, we're very imaginative. Right. So if you have any ideas, anything, it's not to just sit and just daydream about it. I mean, sometimes you can go and um, you know, go to the library, your local library, or open a book, or even ask questions or something. But now, um, um, I I would encourage students, especially like fast books. I really like fat books. Like when I go to the, the library, I would head on to the non-fiction section and I look at um, different um, fat books, facts about such and such or basic things, you know. Um, they like to do, especially for um, children's level in a, in, a, in a local school library. Or, but nowadays, we see that a lot of students, a lot of children especially, I must say, they all have smartphones. Yes, you so, know? so you can, you, you can, yeah, you can, you can go on your smartphone and you can type something, but you know, smartphones are good, but you know, I'm, I'm in a way, I'm even glad that I didn't come up from a different generation that right. had a smartphone. I mean, I had my first phone, and I was in my um, when I was in my my first year university. That was when I got my first phone, and it was just an ordinary Nokia phone. I didn't have this much resources as how the kids have these days. Yeah. So the kids they have more resources more than we have, but a lot of them tend to be lazy. They tend they tend to mess around on hmm. on all the social media apps. And um, these things, they just say, oh, okay, we just, no, 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 you don't have to just go with the flow or just um, depend on what the world is feeding you. You can, you two can be um, um, innovative, you two can come up with ideas, you two can do things, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And if, you, if there any any other things that you would like to um, say to the young people, um you know, but their dreams, um, nothing is impossible, of course. Um, you know, mm-hmm. how it keep to the goals, uh, any, any other things that you would like to say uh, before we wrap up, that would be wonderful. Oh, yes. Well, um, my encouraging, my, my final words to the, the young people is that um, never give up, always um, have faith always have faith even though sometimes some things may go sideways mm-hmm. sometimes when you try something and um, you aren't successful never give up if I was to tell the story of how many times I've been unsuccessful I would write a book yeah. I've been unsuccessful many times but I continue to push forward and I didn't listen to um, naysayers I cut out every ounce, inch and ounce of toxicity for my life mm-hmm. I was focused on my goals and um, I just had faith that things will be better and um, that's all and at the same time too, if you have a passion mm-hmm. um, please do not lose it or anything I mean of course you may have something but everybody has a hobby everybody has something that they would like to um, look into you know everybody has this so don't think otherwise of yourself just always be encouraged and push forward and at the same time too I'd like to leave this message that students um, please must listen to your teachers I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my teachers. My teachers were the best, and I believe the teachers are one of the best people in the whole world, along with nurses. Those are my two favorite people. Mm-hmm. So listen to your teachers and um, always try to be um, good model students because 
what you what you sow you reap later mm-hmm. and um it's good to always be positive towards everything that you do be a positive influence around others mm-hmm. and um, at the same time to try not to um follow the norms of society and fall into things like peer pressure or um unnecessary you know uh, bad habits and at the same time most 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 importantly is please listen to your parents and your elders because um they know more than you even though you may feel no I won't know more than that the respect that we have especially in the islands yeah. it has to be maintained even though today we live in a society in a world where a lot of people you know the young folks coming up they're, they're quite rebellious they always talk back to their parents so they're very um you know disobedient pretty much we much we must continue to hold that that wonderful um that wonderful value that especially that it is shared amongst all Pacific islands which is to be obedient to your parents and respect your elders. So that is something that you must keep close to. I I I I can testify to that that in order to unlock blessings in life, that is one of the primary things that you need to do. Respect your elders, listen to your parents. Okay. That is all. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and your words of encouragement. You are such an inspiration. My to pleasure. All of us. Yes. Thank you so much. You're my inspiration, Dr. Mebe. Oh, thank you so much. This podcast is created and produced by Melanesian Women Today, a non-profit organization. Please visit our website at www.melanesianwomentoday.org. That is all one word. Melanesian Women Today envisions a Pacific region where every woman, girl and child in their respective communities in Melanesia lives a productive, healthy and fulfilling life. We are on a mission to improve the well-being and quality of lives and also to promote and improve leadership in women and girls in their communities. Please consider making a donation today on our website to support our work. Thank you for your support.